0: Love talk
1: Got ourselves a little national emergency on our hands, <laughs> or so we're told. Um, I told you, I told you it was going to happen. I called it. I'm going to talk about that. In fact, I'm going to lead with that in just a second. Um, then we have Ann Coulter turning on Donald Trump, which is hilarious because she wrote a book called "In Trump We Trust." <laughs> Um I, I mean, the the level to which Ann Coulter makes no sense is legendary. She's breaking records on not making sense. I, I simply don't get. Like Trump is doing exactly what she wants, and now she's like, "Fuck him." <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> what the fuck?
1: Um, so we got, you know, conservative on conservative violence today. So it's going to be pretty pretty hilarious, if you ask me. My videos are a mess. They're not in order. And so it's going to be a pain in the ass to, to cut to them. I'm trying to actually structure them right now as I talk to you guys. But um, we also have Bill Maher weighed in on the 2020 election, and he's more awful as time has gone by. And it's depressing. Um, and then the U.S. is ramping up regime change efforts in Venezuela, and you have uh, Mike Pence threatening the rest of the world to hop on board with us, which is um, arrogant to say the least. And then we have basically the worst case of censorship against the left that I think I've ever seen, Um, it involves Rania Kalik, who's a friend of the show. and you guys are going to be stunned when you see just how out in the open this stuff is. And they know that there's not going to really be a backlash. The only people who are going to talk about it are maybe some independent left-wing outlets, and not even all of the independent left-wing outlets. Um, so it's really, it's really upsetting when you see what they might get away with, what they'll likely get away with. And uh, the Amazon deal is dead, and the idiots on Morning Joe, the cackling morons decided to blame Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for it. I find that particularly hilarious because it's a good thing. Like, it's a good thing that the Amazon deal is dead, and uh, they attack her for... They, they, th- they say, like, she's responsible for this. She's not responsible for this. I mean, she's one of the few people who supported this idea of, like, hey, maybe it's a bad idea to give massive corporate welfare to the richest man in the world, um, but... She wasn't the only one, but somehow it's all being pinned on her, which is crazy. I, I guess she's like a stand-in avatar for everything about the left on uh, the establishment show of Morning Joe. That's a no-truth area. That's what Morning Joe is. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, we have uh, Rush Limbaugh in the show today, too. I know you guys love it when we do those little you know, throwback-like clips that include people like uh, Rush Limbaugh or Pat Robertson and stuff like that. So Rush made a, an appearance on Fox News, and it's actually, it's actually a really great clip because it, even Fox News host Chris Wallace just kind of casually and easily paints him as the fucking moron that he is, which is glorious. All right, so without further ado... Let's go ahead and get started here. And uh like I said, we'll uh lead with Trump's national emergency declaration. So my prediction about the wall has finally come true. I've been saying this for a while now that uh Donald Trump is going to declare a national emergency and basically try to build it on his own um now, the timing of my prediction was off because he, he kept announcing, like, oh, I'm going to give a, an Oval Office address, and he gave an Oval Office address, and he didn't do it then. Then, like, you know, not even a week later, he's like, oh, I, I'm going to give another speech, and this speech is going to be, you know, uh, whatever. I don't know if it was from the Oval Office again or whatever the fuck it was, but I don't think it was. I think it was from the press room. But he gave another speech, and I'm like, okay, now he's going to do it, and he didn't do it. And I'm like, okay, I know you're going to do it. What do you – like, just do it. Like, why are you – to be clear, I don't want him to do it, but I, just, I knew he was going to do it. It was just a matter of him actually doing it. And then finally, uh, a few days ago, he actually he did it, and it was a speech from the Rose Garden. It was a rambling, meandering, lost speech, which is you know, expected from Donald Trump at this point. But finally, my prediction has come true. He declared a national emergency. I'm going to show you a, a short news clip here on it, and then we'll come back and talk about it.
2: President Trump tonight, who today went on live TV from the Rose Garden and declared a national emergency, citing an invasion on the border. He is trying to go around Congress now to get billions more in taxpayer money for his wall that he campaigned on, saying Mexico would pay for it. Tonight, Democrats, and now the growing list of Republicans who say this move could create a slippery slope for future presidents. Our chief White House correspondent, Jonathan Carl, right there in the Rose Garden, asking the president about the Republicans who don't want this. In the Rose Garden, the president did what he had long threatened to do, declaring a national emergency to get billions of dollars Congress wouldn't give him to build his border wall. We're talking about an invasion of our country. Congress only approved $1.4 billion for the wall, but the White House says the president can get an additional $6.5 billion using executive and emergency powers to shift money from other projects. Most of it would come from the Pentagon money that is intended for counter-narcotics efforts and emergency military construction. The president insists military leaders are on board. They think this is far more important than what they were going to use it for. I said, what were you going to use it for? And I won't go into details, but it didn't sound too important to me. The president made it clear he fully expects to be sued. We will have a national emergency, and we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake. In court, the administration will have to prove there is a real emergency, something the president seemed to undermine with his own words. I could do the wall over a longer period of time. I didn't need to do this. But I'd rather do it much faster. He is
1: incomprehensibly dumb dude you had one job and that one job was to not undermine your own case and so when he says like you did at the end there um yeah you know i didn't need to do this but i wanted to do it much faster that statement alone undermines the argument that it's a national emergency if it's an emergency you have to do something right now which is why you declare an emergency. You can't, as you're declaring an emergency, say, you know, I didn't have to do this. I mean, anybody who supports this, what he's doing here, immediately had to facepalm when they heard him say that. Because you just, again, you totally contradicted your case. I mean, just to uh, draw a parallel here, here, let's say in response to 9-11, you know, uh, George W. Bush was like, okay, we're going to declare a national emergency and I need to send, you know, um, I need to send extra security to the airports. I need to do this, I need to do that. And then when he was pushed on it, he's like, just, you know, I don't have to do this. Everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you talking about? What do you mean you don't have to do it? If you're saying you don't have to do it, then it's not a national emergency. Obviously, it is a national emergency. You can't, like, to undercut your own case in such a clear way is, is really just... It's so Trumpian, because this is what he does. And we spoke about this um, when he was campaigning. He knows how to speak out of both sides of his mouth. And what actually happened is people just kind of projected onto him what they wanted him to be for. So while he's saying... For example, on foreign policy, oh, we're going to, I don't know why we're in Iraq, I don't know why we're in Afghanistan, we're going to get out of there, we're going to stop nation building. They don't even, uh, they're not even thankful that we're there, so we're going to come back, we're going to build our own country up. He said that at the same time that he was saying stuff like, we're going to bomb the shit out of them, talking about ISIS. So, on the one hand, he's like, I'm going to escalate more and destroy the enemy, ruthlessly. And on the other hand, he was like, "Uh, uh, we're going to stop doing the nation building, and stop doing all these dumb wars. So what happened is, among the actual Republican-based voters, the ones who are more hawkish read into him, oh, he said he wants to bomb the shit out of them, so I'm for that. And then the ones who are less hawkish and more uh, paleocons than neocons read into him, oh, he he doesn't want to do uh, the bombings, he wants to end the wars. And so he says both things at the same time. At the same token, remember when Um, There was a, uh, I think it was a Fox business debate, and there were people outside, I think, protesting for higher wages, and Trump said, "Um, wages are too high in that debate. Wages are too high. What the fuck? So that's like a wink and a nod to the business class, the owner class, the elites. Um, You know, that's a wink and a nod to the free market laissez-faire conservatives. But then at the same time, he would do populist rhetoric on the campaign trail, and he would say – uh, you know, I'm not going to let your jobs be outsourced. I'm going to, we're going to, NAFTA was terrible. We're going to destroy the TPP. So he was trying to do both at the same time. Hey, look at me. I'm fighting for the working class. And oh yeah, by the way, wages are too high. And I'm not fighting for the working class. I'm fighting for the owner class. So this is, this is so Trumpian. He just says everything at the same time. And then you project onto him. Oh, that's what he really believes that thing that I believe. And that's the thing he's going to fight for. So this is a, a, another class that he's so used to contradicting himself. That now he's doing it in the middle of declaring a national emergency. He's like, oh, and I definitely don't need to do this, but I'm going to do this. The next point is about right wing philosophy, because they have told us for the longest time, us? Uh, we're just we're principled in our belief in small government, bro. That's what we're all about. You know, if you could sum up our philosophy in, in as simple a way as possible, our philosophy would be. The smaller the government, the better. Big government, bad. Small government, good. And, you know, leave more to the private sector. Shrink the size of government. And what this shows is, and it shouldn't surprise anybody that this is, you know, they're not about what they say they're about. What this shows is that's just not correct. That on many issues, they actually want bigger government. And on some issues, they want as big a government as possible. You know, the same people who say they're for small government also support warrantless, illegal, unconstitutional NSA spying. The same people who say they're for small government also supported a giant Wall Street bailout, multi-trillion dollar Wall Street bailout during the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession. They also support corporate welfare that goes to um, ExxonMobil and the oil companies. And, you know, again, we could keep talking about issues where that's their belief is not small government abortion. They want to regulate it as strictly as possible when they say they're anti regulation. But when it comes to that, they're pro regulation. So listen, all I want from this crowd is just to be honest about what your opinions are. Like just don't turn around and use that. Oh, I'm for small government bullshit talking point. The next time a Democratic president does something you don't like. Argue on the merits of why you disagree with that thing. Don't argue and pretend you're taking a principled stand against the size of government, because it's obviously the case that that's not your real belief. You just weaponize that talking point when it's convenient for your ideology. But this is a clear example of Trump saying, you know, hey, I want to grow the government massively and have a a giant militarized border and build a wall through a unitary executive theory, which basically bypasses Congress because they have the power of the purse, but I'm just going to bypass that. So this is something, if a Democratic president did something of similar scale bypassing Congress, they would be fucking screaming and calling him a dictator and a tyrant, and their hair would be on fire, and they would say this is insanity. But uh, many, and most of the, Repo- the elected Republicans are like, yeah, you know, Wall is awesome, so I'm with Trump on this. Now, to be fair, some of them have, you know, said, no, I don't agree with this on principle, and good for them. Um, but most of them are just exposing themselves as not having that principle belief in small government. Um then uh, probably the most important point is whether or not this really is a national emergency. Because if that's what this hinges on in court, then there's no way this goes anywhere at all. Because you can actually, like, objectively measure shit. And, like, for example, Trump keeps citing – he cites two things um, – crime and drugs as to why this is a national emergency. Oh my god, there's so much crime from the illegal immigrants. Oh my god, there's so many drugs being brought in by the illegal immigrants. So that's why we need this wall. That's why it's an emergency and that's why we're bypassing Congress and we're just going to build it on our own here. Um but as you guys know, if you've listened to the show for a long time, there's a study that came out maybe a year or two ago uh from a right-wing think tank nonetheless, which found that um Undocumented immigrants and documented immigrants, both respectively, have lower crime rates than native-born citizens. What? So that flies directly in the face of, you know, the the propaganda narrative that he's built. Like even at his State of the Union address, he brings these Angel families to the um, to to his speech, and Angel families. For those of you who don't know that, those are people who've had family members who've been murdered by undocumented immigrants. Now, is it? do I feel bad for those people? Of course. I feel bad for anybody and their family who were murdered. Murder is horrendous and heinous and should be punished. But the fact that you're only focusing on the undocumented immigrant murders, you're trying to build a narrative, and that narrative is, hey, look at all these families who were impacted by murderous undocumented immigrants. Therefore... We should crack down on the entire undocumented immigrant community. We should crack down on all undocumented immigration. And so he uses that as propaganda to try to build the case for the wall. So it, it's, very, it, it's a cynical argument because, again, when you zoom out and you look at, at the macro picture, there's actually fewer um, you know, undocumented immigrant murderers and documented immigrant murderers. Murderers commit less crime than native citizens. So, if this is what the the discussion is going to be in court, Trump is toast because he has no real argument here that this is a national emergency. If that's a national emergency, there's about a thousand other things that are bigger emergencies. Um, And then also on the point of drugs, most of the, the drugs that get into this country come through legal ports of entry. So, they don't it's not like, uh, like Steve King said, that you have uh, undocumented immigrants with cantaloupe calves dragging the drugs a- across the border in the desert. That's not what's happening. They're coming into this country through legal ports of entry. So there's clever ways that they hide it. However, they, you know, hey, we put it in uh, the the tires of our truck are lined with coke or whatever the fuck the case may be they come up with clever ways to get it in through legal ports of entry so for you to say we're going to build a wall and it's going to make sure people can't smuggle in drugs through the desert that's not what's happening and he also cites the opioid crisis dude what do you want to do you want to build a a wall around GlaxoSmithKline and Merck and all the pharma companies because that's where you know that originates from so for him to try to make the case in court this is a national emergency it's not. You're not even going to come close to making that case because your crime point is just factually not true, and your your drugs point is just factually not true. It is possible, though, that you know it might get slapped down a couple times. Then it goes to the Supreme Court. Then there is a chance that the Supreme Court says, "Okay, we're going to let you do this." But if the Supreme Court does decide we're going to let Trump do this, um, because they say, for example, they could say something like. Whether or not it is a national emergency is irrelevant. It's up to the discretion of the president to determine whether or not it's a national emergency. And even if we disagree that it's a national emergency, he has the authority as president to determine what is and isn't, and therefore it is legal for him to take this course of action. There is a remote possibility, probably a tiny percentage chance that that's what they decide. And if that is what they decide, well, guess what? Many people have pointed this out, and they're correct. President Bernie Sanders can say, well, the fact that we have 32,000 to 45,000 Americans die every year because they don't have access to health care, the fact that we have medical bills being the top cause of bankruptcy in this country, that's a national emergency. So I'm going to bypass Congress and approve and fund a Medicare for all system um, through a national emergency. Uh, you know, That's one example. Another example is um, climate change hey, climate change is, is going to destroy the world and all hopes at a, a future modern civilization, and we need to address it and we need to address it now, so it's a national emergency. We're going to ban fossil fuels and radically and quickly move towards uh, renewable energy and technology. I mean, you can if you're leaving the president the discretion for that one person to determine what is and isn't a national emergency then it's going to be on the whims of that one person to determine what is and isn't. And you're going to have massively varying different views between Democrats and Republicans and individual Democrats and individual Republicans. And you're opening up the door to basically, it's really a dictatorship. I mean, that's what that is. like, oh, I'm just going to willy-nilly, whatever I decide, we do. And, oh, you disagree with it? Sorry, we're going to declare a national emergency. And it doesn't matter if you disagree with it. And listen, in many ways, we already have a system like this. You know, like, for example, Congress is supposed to um, authorize war. But ever since 9-11 and onward, we've had presidents of both parties, they, get to, they willy-nilly send troops wherever the fuck they want, and they just declare, oh, no, this was approved through the authorization for use of military force um, back in the wake of 9-11, where now I get to fight terrorists, no matter where those terrorists are. So the fact that I'm bombing eight countries right now doesn't matter that we don't have a declaration of war for six of the eight countries. It's still legal because I say so. So we already have kind of like a dictatorship style system in some aspects. Um, And this would just solidify it on the domestic front a lot more. We already have it for foreign policy. This would solidify it on the domestic front. But again, if they were to say in the small percentage chance they do say you're allowed to do this, then a Democratic president could say for climate change for medicare for all for michigan with their destroyed poisoned water that is still the case by the way for all these other places around the country that have poisoned water you could have uh, an emergency declaration that builds infrastructure so you know if they were to to rule that way then you open up the door to all that by setting a precedent now it also is possible this is an even tinier percentage chance that they say okay yes, the president has the ability to do this, and so we're going to go ahead and approve him doing this. But then the next time a Democrat tries to do, pull the same trick, they just flip-flop on that principle the courts do, and they say, oh, no, you're not allowed to declare an emergency over climate change. The fuck? So in other words, they could give a, a, you know, the president the discretion, but say, just this president, just this issue, which would be a classic, unprincipled, weaselly decision but, you know, far be it from the Supreme Court to, to do something like that. I mean, listen, the best example of this was Antonin Scalia. He was considered this, like, intellectual, crusading intellectual principled uh, justice on the court. Meanwhile, he was the biggest fucking hypocrite I've ever seen. When you go issue for issue with him, he would always change. He would always flip on the principle to meet his own political ideology. So, you know, states' rights is a perfect example of this. He would always say, oh, states' rights is so important. And that's the overriding factor, the overriding principle. Now, a good example was when Arizona wanted to basically build their own border wall. And he ruled that, of course, the state can do this. Why? Because they have states' rights. So usually the federal government is in charge of the border. And so that's the counterargument was it doesn't matter if Arizona wants to do something on on the border – it's the federal government's responsibility to do it. We have the authority there. Arizona doesn't have the authority. Um, so Antonin Scalia said, oh, states' rights is what this is all about, so I support Arizona's right to build a border wall. Now, what happened when a case was in front of Antonin Scalia about individual states wanting to legalize uh, recreational marijuana? He's obviously going to stick by that same principle. States' rights, obviously, any obviously any state can do what they want with marijuana because I believe in the sovereignty of the state. No, immediately flipped on the principle, and he said, ah, the federal government overrides the state government because of the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution, so uh, they don't have the right to do whatever they want with marijuana. How dare they? So he just flipped, immediately flipped on the principle whenever you know, it was something that matches political ideology. Uh, I don't like it in this case, so I'm going to flip. So it is possible that you do have these far-right idiots on the court who are political ideologues who just say, yeah, Trump can do this, but no, anytime a Democratic president would try to do anything similar by declaring a national emergency that matches their ideology, you can't do that. So we'll see how this unfolds, but my, my guess is it is most likely that this does get slapped down because it is such an overreach and it's so egregious in skirting uh, separation of powers, but also it's just, it's provably not an emergency So if they're looking at that evidence and having to respond directly to that evidence, it's almost impossible to give yourself enough wiggle room to say, no, the president can still do this. So my guess is this will get slapped down, but it is Trump doing what he said he would do from early on. And we have a story coming up about that in a little bit, the reaction to it. But uh, my prediction has come true. Trump declared a national emergency and decided he's going to build the wall on his own. Okay. Now we're going to talk about Ann Coulter, bitch. Ann Coulter, bitch. So Ann Coulter has completely turned on Donald Trump now. She's been kind of flirting with that for a while, like, eh, I think I'm going to abandon him. No, I'll stick with him. I think I'm going to abandon him. No, I'll stick with him. Well, now it's, it's donezo. She decided... I'm totally done with this guy. Which is kind of hilarious because she wrote a book called In Trump We Trust. Yikes on that one. So, um take a look at why she's abandoning him. This is directly after he declared the national emergency to build the wall. Listen. Joining
3: so us to respond to that is the, Ann woman, the, the,
4: the Trump doesn't know Ann
3: Hulter. Good morning.
4: <laughs> Thank God he's relieved me of responsibility <laughs> for what he's been doing. <laughs> well, let's discuss. That was the biggest favor any anyone could do to me today. Let's discuss why. Because you've been the country's over. That's why. Oh, I saw that tweet that you put out I hope there. Hope you're enjoying having a radio show. Actually, your radio show can keep going because you barely <laughs> talk about politics. There's really <laughs> no <laughs> point. Exactly. Yeah. And Anybody else talking about this is just fooling the rooms with the national emergency. Oh, and and I noticed. I just I just woke up before. Um, um, to call into your show. Wait, you didn't see the press conference live? You didn't hear him say no, you No, know, I just turned it? out for the first time. Oh my God. Um, but I th- I mean I checked. I checked to make sure that I was um right. It wasn't wasn't it was didn't take a lot of mm-hmm. enough have to go to a tarot card reader to figure out. <laughs> is the president going to totally F over his base? Hmm. Went to sleep last night thinking, yes, I think the answer is yes. Um, Look, the only national emergency is that our president is an idiot. (laughs) Well, Well, you get an argument here. No, on
5: KABC. What do you think is going to happen with this money that he thinks he's going to be able to get by declaring this an emergency? Is it going to be blocked in the courts and he's just never going to get it done and now he can blame the courts? I
4: think that's what he and, and Jared and Ivanka and the rest of the Dream Team are hoping. Um, Because for some reason, he really doesn't want to build a wall. Most of his main campaign promises, and of course the biggest ones having to do with immigration, are all things that are 100% within the authority of the president. Um, No, he never needed Congress to build a wall. He could have started building day one.
1: You know, this this is just so goddamn baffling to me. Because Ann Coulter, from the very beginning... Was telling Trump, hey, dude, stop trying to get this through Congress, stop trying to work with the opposition party in order to get your wall. Just declare a national emergency and build the wall. You can do it. You're able to do that. I'm telling you, you have the legal authority to do that. Do it. That's what she was saying this entire fucking time. Then Trump decides, okay, I'm gonna declare a national emergency and build the wall. And she's like, Oh, fuck him, huh? What an idiot.
4: That's
1: exactly what you were asking for. What did you talk him to do exactly what he just said he was going to do, and now he does it, and you're like, ugh, he's duping the rubes, and he wants uh, the courts to, he wants the courts to block it. The fuck? I mean, you want to talk about making some shit up? Does anybody really believe that Trump is like, you know, I really hope that this wall declaration I just did, I really hope the courts are going to block this? No! In fact, he's going to whine like a bitch when they most likely do slap it down, because it's unconstitutional. And he's going to want them to build. He's going to want them to let him build it. I don't like the way her mind works. There, it's, there's no logic there. And she even said in this clip, like, "Oh, I told him he has the authority to do this, and I've been telling him to do it. So then he does it, and then you turn on him immediately." Now, I'm, by the way, this is don't misconstrue this at all as like support for Donald Trump. I, I just find it hilarious that the same people who were begging him to do exactly this now that he does it they're like oh this is just a political stunt but he's doing exactly what you said now i i get the the argument of dude you used to have control of the house of representatives the senate and and the presidency so you could have passed it back then through congress i get that argument but that's not the argument she's making the argument she's making is you don't need congress and you could have just built it on your own and that's what he's doing and now she's like i hate that I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, Trump didn't do it through um, through Congress early on because they needed 60 votes in the Senate. They didn't have 60 votes in the Senate. So I think they were just like, oh, we can't get it done, so what are we going to do? But then he decided to use the government shutdown as the leverage to try to, force, to chip away and force some Democratic votes to cross over for him. And obviously that didn't work, and that was never going to work. So... Basically, my point is he's done everything that an actual, true believer on this issue would have done. So it, I think he actually really does want that wall. I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's just all political posturing. I think it really, I think he really does want that wall. Um, so the fact that he was like gaslighted by the, his, the members of his own party when they're like, oh, you know, we don't have the numbers to do this, even though we have control of all branches of, of, of the government. I mean, we can't do it yet. So then finally, when the government shutdown came along, he saw an opportunity. Oh, I'll just try to do this and use my leverage, and I don't care about the suffering workers, so fuck it, we're going to use this. Um, and again, it didn't work, and it wasn't going to work on that front. So then what's the only other alternative? Okay, here, I'm signing the bill that's the, you know, um, the new budget for the government. And then at the same time, I'm just going to sign an emergency declaration and try to build it myself. Now, whether or not it gets struck down in the courts, he actually has no control over that because the argument's flimsy to begin with. So what are you going to do? The argument of this is a national emergency, even though it's provably not a national emergency because the crime stats are lower and because the drugs mostly come in through ports of entry, not randomly through the desert. Like that argument is flimsy as fuck, but that was never going to change if he tried to do it through this this path of declare a national emergency, but you were begging him to do it. Now he does it. Now you're mad at him. I just don't get it. I just don't get it at all. I don't understand it even a little bit. Um, it's hilarious and it's weird. And she's not like, there's no, there's not even a point she's making. There's no point she's making. It's just like, I said he should do this. Now he doesn't. Now I'm mad. I'm curious to see what ends up happening with her followers, because she has, she has a lot of, like, really rabid, far-right support, but now they're being presented with a choice. It's like, you go, you go Team Trump or you go Team Ann Coulter. And, you know, I think it's most likely the case that she's losing followers right now because they're go- I think a lot of their response from the base is going to be like, you told him to do this, and now he's doing it. I think their reaction is going to be the same as my reaction. They're going to be like... Especially if they're people who support the wall. They're going to be like, he's trying to build the wall, dipshit. Like, what else, what else did you want him to do? What else did you want him to do? I get it. Maybe you wanted him early on, when he had Congress, to try to force it through there. Uh, use, uh, use cloture and get just 51 votes. Um, that's an argument you could use, But you didn't use that argument. She said, I wanted him to just declare the national emergency and build the wall. Now he does that. Now she turns on him. I don't get it. I don't fucking get it. I don't fucking get it. So... But go ahead, let them fight. Let the far right eat their own. This is hilarious. It's nice to actually see a rift on the right that's as profound as the fight that the left has been having, having since 2016, where you have like the the centrist corporatist left who are like, ah, incremental change is fine. So what? You deregulate Wall Street a little bit. No biggie. So what? you do a couple more wars. No big deal. At least our beloved Democrats don't hate black people and don't hate minorities. Haven't they come so far? No, that's actually the bare minimum. And the actual left has been screaming, you have to be for regulating Wall Street. You have to be for Medicare for All. You have to be for these actually actual important policies. And there's been a raging fight that's still going on to this day on the left. Well, now apparently there's a fight like that going on on the right. And that fight is... uh. I don't know, the Ann Coulter fucking somehow even further right faction than Trump and Trump? I mean, there's been riffs before, I guess you could say, the establishment right versus the Trumpian right. But honestly, the establishment right always agreed with Trump on the policies. The only thing they disagreed with him on was his mean tweets. Like, Mitt Romney is exactly like Donald Trump. He just wants him to not do mean tweets. That's it. That's the only difference. So there's not really a fight fight. Whereas now, it looks like there's actual fight, but I can't even figure out what Ann Coulter's point is. <laughs> so it's just weird, but um, yeah, this, this is likely going to get slapped down. But for Ann Coulter to pull like, and I told you so, if slash when that happens would be weird, because this is exactly what you wanted Trump to do when he's doing it. So makes no sense. Okay, now let's go to Bill Maher. Bill Maher's new rules segment on Friday went after the Democratic base for, you know, having standards and holding politicians uh, to those standards. Uh, Let's check it out, and then I have a lot to say about it.
3: more swiping left on perfectly good presidential candidates. Nearly 45 million Americans now identify themselves as Democrats, and all of them are running for president. (laughs) This time, let's give them a chance. Let's not eat our own the way we nitpicked Hillary to death over her emails and other bullshit. Harris has already had to play defense because it's come out that when she was a prosecutor she prosecuted people (laughs) not very progressive she should have found a way to apply more forgiveness and the fact that she didn't is unforgivable (laughs) Elizabeth Warren claimed to be Native American so what Trump claimed to be human If you think this stupid, blown-out-of-proportion Indian controversy makes her inauthentic, you're the phony. She is the champion of consumer rights in the age of income inequality. When it comes to Elizabeth Warren, I have no reservations. Thank you, Okay. Bernie Sanders, we used to like him, but he didn't personally chaperone everyone on his campaign, so he's a sex monster once removed. (laughs) candidate has to have tough standards for their staff, Uh, but not too tough. That's Amy Klobuchar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, last week we learned she's verbally abusive. Then again, this came from the Huffington Post, so I got to ask, do you mean actually abusive or what millennials think of as abusive? I think it's like the pain chart in the hospital, and I think my generation's too is your generation's (laughs) 10th. So... So welcome to the real world, Snowflake. Now go get Amy her coffee and shut the fuck up. (laughs) Senator Rourke took oil money. Yeah! He's in Texas. All the money in Texas is oil money. The only other job there is operating the mechanical bull. (laughs) It's like complaining Mitt Romney takes money from Mormons. I mean, geez, every Democrat is going to have some dark spot. In Virginia, it's on their face. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what song Trump plays at his rallies? It's the Stones' You Can't Always Get What You Want, which seems like an odd choice, but it tells you why Republicans are so successful, because they're not babies who so think they can have everything. Evangelicals don't really like Donald Trump. They know he can't even pass a church without bursting into flames.
0: <laughs> but,
3: but he got them two justices on the Supreme Court. Yeah, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you get what you need. That's their jam. Ours is thank you, next.
1: Yeah, he basically gets that exactly backwards. So when you think of the right-wing base, is that what comes to your mind that, oh, they're understanding and they compromise and that's why they win? No, it's the exact opposite. They had their Tea Party revolution and it was the rise of the Tea Party revolution which led to their uncompromising candidate candidates which led to victory. Remember, Donald Trump, one of the things that got him popular early on with that far right-wing base was what? Pandering on the issue of birtherism. The first black president isn't really born uh, here, and he's a, you know, a Kenyan Muslim foreigner, and so he used that issue to ride a wave of popularity, and he, he super served his base, and that's what the Republicans do is by the first rule of politics, which is don't abandon your base. Never slap your base in the face. That rhymed. And it also sounds weirdly sexual. <laughs> Never do that. And the right wing generally abides by that. And that's why you get the right wing base is actually excited when it's time to go vote. They get to go vote for their candidates and they've been told everything they want to hear until so they go vote for their candidates. Now the left on the other hand, it has been Democratic bubble, conventional wisdom for decades now. Oh, in order for the Democrats to win, you have to run to the right. Because this country is a center-right country, and people are more conservative. Now, if that was true, perhaps the Democrats would have never lost 1,000 seats under Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Barack Obama. Because that's the strategy they were running. They were running the triangulation strategy, the New Democrat strategy, that's Rahm Emanuel's approach. This is what they were doing. And they lost. They lost a thousand seats. It's only after this new wave of a populist left wave, uh, you know, a social democratic wave, where people are saying, "Here's what we're for," uh, you know, Medicare for all, free college, living wage. It was on on the backs of that movement that we got this massive victory in the last election. As a general rule, the further left you were, the better you did. I mean, look at. Um, Sherrod Brown, who ran a pretty unapologetically left-wing campaign in Ohio, won as a Democratic senator. And then you have, um, in Indiana, what's his name? I see his face in my head, but I'm blanking on his name right now. Joe Donnelly. Joe Donnelly ran, basically saying, I'm a right-winger. He was praising Reagan in his ads as a Democratic senator. Praising Reagan, saying, I like the idea of the wall, shitting on Medicare for all, and he lost. So Bill's... Point is, hey, left-wing base, can you calm the fuck down, please? Because you're the reason that, you know, the left is losing with your thank-you-next stuff. When the reality is, instead of berating the base to fall back and change their standards, Bill, you should be rating the Democratic politicians to listen to the fucking base! So you flip the responsibility. Why Why is it the onus on the people to fall in line behind the politicians. No, the onus is on the politician to serve the will of the people. So perhaps if the Democrats are losing, they should stop being shitty and stand for something that would definitely get them elected. Be more specific here in the breakdown. He says, he says in the beginning that, oh, can we not nitpick our candidate to death like we nitpicked Hillary to death over bullshit Here's the problem with that bill. What the left was arguing against Hillary was not bullshit. I I will gladly concede that the arguments from the right against Hillary were largely bullshit. Oh my God, her emails. Oh my God, Benghazi. Just silly stuff. But the arguments from the left were, oh my goodness, the Iraq war killed a minimum 200,000 innocent civilians and she supported it and she didn't change her mind on it for an incredibly long time. And she's She uh, did regime change in Libya. She wants to do regime change in Syria. Um, That seems pretty fucking important to me. Supporting the Patriot Act and destroying our Fourth Amendment protections, that seems pretty fucking important to me. So don't conflate all criticism of Hillary as being illegitimate because then you're a hack and that's what you sound like. So... I don't think it was nitpicking her to death. I think it was genuine, legit criticisms. And the reality is, if she had listened to those criticisms and course-corrected, she'd be president today. But she didn't do that. She continued to listen to her shitty strategists and do the old, dumb strategy of, I need to run further and further right. Well, how'd that work out? Donald Trump outflanked her on her left on certain issues. And he ended up winning. Um... Then he, said, he protects Kamala and says, oh, my God, Kamala, how dare she prosecute people as a prosecutor? I mean, I know you're a comedian, so your job is to, like, make people laugh, but the, how flippant and glib you are about this is insufferable because, again, the argument isn't, like, that absurd of, like, oh, you're a prosecutor, therefore you're dismissed. No, the argument is, as a prosecutor, you... We're told you should prosecute Steve Mnuchin, who is foreclosing on grandmas early and kicking them out of their homes. And you didn't foreclose on Steve Mnuchin, the Goldman Sachs lackey, the head of One West Bank. You didn't go after them. You didn't prosecute them. Why? Because uh, you were taking campaign contributions from them. That's corruption. The argument is hey, you were a prosecutor and you supported civil asset forfeiture, which is legalized robbery by cop. The argument is hey, you were a prosecutor. And you laughed at the idea of supporting legalized marijuana. So as you pretend to be this woke person of color candidate, you're responsible for locking up people of color and destroying their fucking lives. And you, Bill Maher, of all people, should understand that, hey, maybe this is one of those issues where there's a red line, and it's a, you're on our team or you're not when it comes to legalizing marijuana. You of all people should take this position, but no, you're going to defend a candidate who laughed at the idea of legalized marijuana and now pretends to be for it? Does anybody really think that she's going to fight tooth and nail to legalize it when she spent her whole fucking career doing the opposite? He's so smug, I can't take it. Um, Like every actual argument counter to his position, he glibly dismisses and doesn't address. And he strawmans everything about the the people he disagrees with and then knocks down the strawman. It's just so obnoxious. Now, on the Liz Warren Native American thing, I agree that that one's forgivable. Why is that forgivable? Particularly because it has nothing to do with policy. So the criticisms that are the most legitimate are policy-based, and you need to deal with those actual criticisms and not just smugly dismiss it. If you want to say, hey, the social justice warrior-ish left that gets wrapped up in non-policy-related issues and they dismiss people based on shit like that, then I agree with you. But he's, throughout this rant, he's, he's conflating the two things. He's conflating legitimate policy criticism with all, like, oversensitive, snowflake, social justice warrior criticism. So, and by the way, it's not something, like, I can look past the Elizabeth Warren Native American thing, but I also take the point that there are many people who genuinely look at that and go, eh, really questionable for you to do that. But I can look past it specifically because she's, the, like, one of the top on on policy issues now on the bernie sanders one he's correct to defend bernie on this front because bernie had no idea about any kind of sexual harassment that other people were doing in his campaign so what's he supposed to do stop something he doesn't even know is fucking occurring because nobody even fucking told him it makes no sense it was a total smear of bernie now when he goes uh to defend cloud boot jar again bill i don't know about those stories about oh my god she's verbally abusive and this and that i know nothing about that you know i saw the articles but is it legit? Is it not legit? I don't know. Does somebody have an axe to grind in the media and so they're running these stories? Or is it somebody who was actually like, no, seriously, she was really bad? I don't know. But what I will tell you is Cloud Bootjar Jar is, is dismissed because of her policy positions. Again, this is going to keep coming back to policy because that's what it's about if you're a serious person and you're looking at candidates and who to vote for. Cloud Boot Jar, for example, supports the intelligence agencies come hell or high water. So she's in favor of the Patriot Act and NSA spying, and she's routinely supported NSA spying. You know, that's something I can't look past. She doesn't support Medicare for all. She supports all access, expanded access. So, yes, I have policy criticisms of her, and because of those policy criticisms, and she's one of the furthest right candidates in the race, I have no interest in her. Now, you can't flip that back on me and people like me and say, oh, how dare you be so finicky in criticizing candidates? Bill, this is a fucking primary. It's the exact time to criticize candidates. If we can't criticize candidates and have favorites and argue for them, then what the fuck is the point of a primary? Do you just want to abolish fucking primaries? Like, now is the time to make the argument as to why you want that person and not that person. Jesus Christ. Um, And then, of course, he had to do the millennial bashing, or it's like, every one of his shows now, he has there's like a, a mandatory minimum of millennial bashing. There's like a quota he has to hit. And there's nothing lazier and dumber than millennial bashing. I mean, we're talking about people who graduated into the worst economy since the fucking Great Depression, uh, people who were raised in a system where the idiots running it kept sending people to illegal and offensive wars and wasting trillions of dollars doing that, um, you know, destroyed unions, destroyed uh, labor laws, made it so that the middle class is no longer the middle class. We just have been stagnant since the fucking 1970s. So we were raised in a broken fucking system, and then the people who broke the system turn around and go, Ha! Are you living at home in your basement, fucking bitch? Get up and go do something. Why don't you go do it? run the world? How about that? It's your turn to run the world. Well, yeah, because you guys fucked it up beyond all imagination, and now when we try to fix it by picking candidates that are actually correct on the issues, you are condescending and pedantic and saying, No, how dare you have standards for your candidates? Why do we always have to eat our own? Not everything is eating your own. Some of it is logical and reasonable criticism and breaking down where they stand on the issues to fix the country. Jesus fucking Christ, I can't stand the millennial bashing. It's the dumbest fucking thing ever. And here's this guy, a comfortable fucking multimillionaire, in his studio on his TV show who's like, you guys don't even know what it's like to have it tough. My generation's two for pain is your generation's test. Shut the fuck up and go to your fucking castle mansion and smoke some weed with, you know, whatever, Larry King or whoever the fuck you're hanging out with nowadays, with your pampered ass, yelling at people who are up to their eyeballs in fucking student loan debt. You you glib, smug prick. The fuck do you know? You've been in Hollywood for the past fucking couple decades making money, By doing a TV show once a fucking week, asshole! Jesus fucking Christ! There's no, there's no like trying to understand anybody else's viewpoint, and then uh, finally, he brings up Bet on My Stork, and he says, "Oh, Bet on My Stork takes um, oil money. Oh, we, we should look past that. Why? You're you're." always yelling about climate change and then you see that one of these candidates who takes oil money is probably a lot less likely to fix that problem. Why is now not the time to say, hey, we should probably look past him because he's going to be super questionable on one of the most important issues and we should probably pick a different candidate who's going to be better on that issue. Why wouldn't you do that? Because you're a fucking partisan tribalist hack. And you know how Nina Turner says, any old blue just won't do? Your uh, argument is, any old blue will do. So even uh, even if it's blue, that agrees with red 60% of the time. Yeah, that'll do. What are we going to do? Stop. Don't eat your own. Don't eat your own. No, the answer is you have to hold your side to strict standards or else you can never get anything done. If you're always going to vote for people who are going to stab you in the back, then what's the point of even voting? If you're never going to get what you want, then why vote? So it, it just it makes no sense. And the real argument against Bet on My Stork isn't just that he takes fossil fuel money. The argument is um, hey, look at his detailed policy record, and David Sirota did a wonderful breakdown in Capitol and, and Maine. And, for example, he supported Wall Street deregulation. For example, he supported fast track of TPP. For example, he supported, he agreed with Republicans in putting a hatchet in the back of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So, I, it, that's not a little thing, Bill. These are all big things. And do we want to keep picking shitty centrists? You might, but the rest of the country doesn't. And that's actually helped the rise of the right over the years. So how about you step aside and let this new populist left wave do what we do best, which is win and fix the fucking country, something your generation hasn't been able to do. Okay, let me take a break. When we come back, um, actually, no, no, you know what, let me do one more real quick. This is a pretty quick segment, but it's super important. And after this one, I'll take a break. Um, <clears throat> I do have a video for this. Here it is. Okay. So the U.S. is ramping up regime change efforts in Venezuela and Iran, Um, I want you to take a look at this here. Military planes are prepping to go to the Venezuelan border. They're going to go to Colombia, right on the Venezuelan border. Now, mainstream media in the U.S. has been running with the uh, propaganda headlines that, oh, the U.S. military is sending aid. That's why their planes are going down there with aid. So they're trying to stress the idea that, oh, what, us? What do you mean, bro? We're just going down there because we want to help people. We're all about, like, humanitarianism and stuff, bro. We just want to end hunger. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're there for, bro. Okay, so if that's the case, why would you send the aid in military planes? Why would you do a military buildup on the border? Why wouldn't you just send, I don't know, aid aid? Like, why is the military involved here? Well, they do the aid, bro. They also fight and blow shit up. And we're supposed to believe that John Bolton, bloodthirsty, neocon, warmonger, lunatic, John Bolton and Elliot Abrams, who has a history of toppling governments, that oh no, they just they care about the Venezuelan people, but They don't even care about the American people. I'm supposed to believe they care about the Venezuelan people? Are you fucking kidding me? But the media is running with it and they're like, oh yes, yeah. sending aid, the US, wonderful US, altruistic, sending aid to starving people. By the way, our sanctions are helping starve those people. You really want to help them? Lift the sanctions. But they're not doing that. They're sending military planes down there. Gee, I wonder why. So anyway, um, here's the clip. You're going to see a clip from the AP here. The military plane's gearing up to go. And then you're going to hear a speech that uh, Mike Pence just gave to some of our allies. Take a look.
3: Come for our European partners to stop undermining U.S. sanctions against this murderous revolutionary regime. The time has come for our European partners to stand with us and with the Iranian people, our allies and friends in the region. The time has come for our European partners to withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal and join us as we bring the economic and diplomatic pressure necessary to give the Iranian people, the region, and the world the peace security, and freedom they deserve. We call on the European Union to step forward for freedom and recognize Juan Guaido as the only legitimate president of Venezuela.
1: So this this is what we do now. We just go around the world and we bully everybody and we say, you will recognize the leaders that we want you to recognize. So Europe has actually stayed in the Iran deal because it was doing this weird thing called, what's the word I'm looking for? working. So you had the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency, verifying over a dozen times that Iran is following the uh, Iranian peace deal, the nuclear agreement, to the letter, to the letter. So they said, okay, we don't agree with the U.S. We're not going to put sanctions back on. We're going to continue to trade with them. And by the way, because of U.S. sanctions that were put back on, um, Iran is on the verge of collapsing. They're literally rationing chicken So that government is on the verge of collapsing as a direct result of U.S. actions. By the way, we covered it before. Nobody else covered it, which drives me fucking crazy because it shows you how unserious the media is. But um, the U.N.'s top court ruled that the United States cannot put sanctions on humanitarian goods going into Iran. You can't do it. It's against international law. The Trump administration responded by scolding the U.N.'s top court pulled out of the UN's top court, and kept sanctioning humanitarian goods going into Iran, and now people are dying because they don't have basic medicine. So understand that. This is, your, uh, re- this is the U.S. government which claims to care about human rights. This is what they just did. They blocked humanitarian goods from getting into a country where people need them, and then as a result of that, people are dying because they're trying to squeeze that country into regime change. That's what it is. It's exactly what it is. Israel and the U.S. desperately want to do regime change in Iran. And they're trying to do that. And now Mike Pence is trying to force our European allies to jump on board with it. And remember, these uh, assholes in their ivory towers do not give a fuck about the human toll, the fallout. How many people in Iran are going to be hurt and are being hurt right now? How many innocent civilians will die? How many, if we need ground troops there, and what will happen in the case of that? They don't care about any of that. It's not them going. So another regime change war, who gives a shit? Let's go for it, bitch, and let's berate anybody who doesn't agree with us. Venezuela, again, in the case of Venezuela, pretend, us, bro? Uh, listen, we, get, we want Maduro gone because he's a brutal dictator, you know what I'm saying? Bad dictator, Ah, we, we're against dictators. Freedom and democracy, lovers, that's who we are. Hey, asshole, the U.S. supports 73% of the world's dictatorships. So what's this really about? Well, the answer is John Bolton already said it on Fox Business, and we covered it on this show. It's all about the oil reserves. Venezuela has the world's largest oil reserves. And it, John Bolton said it amongst friends on Fox Business. Yeah, it would be great. We got U.S. companies involved, and we're thinking getting our hands on it. So if they're just lying. Um, oh, human, a- human rights, we're going to send aid down there. We're going to topple another fucking government you got the band back together. Elliot Abrams was known in the 1980s for doing these PR scams where they pretend the US pretends to send food and aid to these countries and really they're sending arm shipments. Why are they sending arm shipments? They want to arm right-wing militias to violently overthrow the governments. Now, what I'm saying in no way shape or form should be misconstrued as a defense of the Islamic theocracy in Iran and the Grand Ayatollah or a defense of Maduro. I'm saying nothing about either one of their cases. What I am saying is the U.S. does not have the right to willy-nilly violate international law and topple governments because we want to jack natural resources. We want more geopolitical control and power. We don't have the right to do that. So it's a principled stand against that. The most frustrating part of all this is the media is nowhere to be found. They're going right along. All the people who scream, like on MSNBC, resist! Yes, we're resisting. You can call us heroes. Those fucking assholes now totally agree on this issue. Nancy Pelosi totally agrees on the Venezuela issue. So look at this. This is the spectrum of debate. When we resist, we're going to resist. You know, I just saw an article early today. It said the, the House Democrats are resisting Trump, and they're launching an investigation into the NRA's ties with Russia. Oh, you got him! Wow, you guys are harsh, aren't you? What the fuck is that? I don't give a fuck if... I don't care if the North Koreans are funding the NRA, regardless of who's funding them. They're shitty as fuck, and you can argue against them on the merits that they're dragging any common-sense reform. They're making that impossible at this point. Any basic reform, even reform that 93% of Americans agree with, like, universal background checks. You can argue against them without doing the weird, oh, who's funding them? I don't give a fuck who's funding them. You can argue against them on the merits of how shitty they are alone. See, this is what the, the, the shitty, non-highfalutin, but they think are highfalutin arguments of like, we're doing resistance. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're doing fucking kabuki theater to try to make people think you're serious, but you go along right with the administration for all their worst aspects. The regime change in Venezuela. What the fuck are you doing, man? God damn it. Resist on this. Media, call this out. They're a bunch of liars. Are you, are you really falling for the idea that John Bolton gives a shit about Venezuelan civilians? Because that's what you are. Donald Trump, who you call a thin-skinned lunatic maniac, you think he cares about Venezuelan civilians? Can you really be that dumb? But they're not saying anything. They're not resisting. And Noam Chomsky's manufacturing consent is, is more relevant now than it's ever been. Because, boy, over time did his arguments prove to be true. The way power works, the way the media works, they filter it so that they only hire people who they know won't rock the boat. You know you're not going to hear from fucking Don Lemon or or Chris Cuomo. These are people who are supposed to be the resistance media, Rachel Maddow. Are you hearing actual objection on the policy issues? No. That's why they're allowed on the air. Because they're not going to rock the boat when when push really comes to shove. They're going to do the faux resistance. Russia is controlling this administration, so in order to resist it, we need to be incredibly hawkish and push towards World War III. Oh, well, fucking how progressive you are. Wow, thank you, thank you. Any word on the fucking regime change wars that they're prepping to do right now in Iran and Venezuela? Anything on that? Anything at all? No, no, okay. But then fucking when they do it, fast forward five years and they'll do their faux resistance. Oh, why did they fucking topple Iran and Venezuela? I couldn't believe they did it. Look at the disasters they are, because that's what they did on Iraq, too. Uh, oh, we're all for it. It's the right thing to do. Let's do it. Cut to five years later. Ah, I can't believe they did this. And then the, and you'll notice something. The argument is that, oh, my God, that was morally reprehensible, what they did. The argument is, oh, the wars were mismanaged. So we all agree the war had to be done, but you had to manage it properly. All right, there you have it. The US ramping up regime change and no resistance anywhere in sight except right here. So TikTok until they kick me off YouTube. All right, let's take a break when we come back. Um, insane censorship of a left wing journalist and then Morning Joe decided to berate AOC uh, in the dumbest way possible, but that's really no surprise. Stay right there. We'll be right back with all that and more. cold slice of pizza real quick, had to do it, oh, I didn't have anything before the show, so, you know how that goes, little rushed break food, give me some fuel, keep this show going, um, anyway pull up the next video, which is incredibly important, and it's about censorship. Its left wing it's censorship of the left, which is not a topic that's very hot online these days. But it's real. real is a fucking heart attack. Okay. So I have a case here of just absolutely insane censorship that I have to share with you. Now, I've been telling anybody and everybody who will listen, you have to stop with this nonsense narrative that um, anytime there's censorship on social media, it's censorship of the right. This is something that's actually a very pervasive narrative online, but it's not true, and you're about to see a great example, a great counterexample to that, that the real breakdown isn't right versus left. The real breakdown is establishment versus anti-establishment. So um, this dates all the way back to, I don't know if you guys remember, in the 2016 election, shady group called Proper Not um, released a list of, oh, these are the fake news arbiters. And then on that list included, you know, you had some genuinely fringe uh, extreme outlets like uh, World Net Daily, for example, they're most well known in my mind from when they said that when Obama land back when Obama was president, his plane landed in Africa. And they ran a serious story where they said a ghost ran in front of the camera when he was walking off of his plane. So they're like, it's a weird mix of like far right beliefs and also um, extreme religiosity and conspiracy theories. And so on this list, yeah, there are many outlets that do Fake news from time to time. Like I think Alex Jones was on the list, of course. World Net Daily, other far right outlets. But on this same list, Truthout, Truthdig, Alternet, like outlets that are independent left outlets that actually generally do a wonderful job. So the real censorship is not on divided down partisan lines. the The real censorship is. Who's safe and who's not safe? Who's establishment who's anti-establishment? Um, now, don't get me wrong. Am I saying that there's no such thing as, like, fake news that's harmful? No, of course there's such a thing as, like, fake news that's harmful. But let me ask you guys a question. What happens when, for example, that fake news that's harmful is every major established outlet in this country running propaganda that leads us to do an illegal offensive war? That's what happened with the Iraq War. The fake news was being uh, sent out from the mainstream media, from the corporate media. Do they get censored when that happens? And listen, we see it right now in the build-up to a war in Venezuela. Whatever the State Department is saying, the mainstream outlets are running, not even remotely critical, just stenographers to power. And so they're pushing a lot of fake news right now. Are they going to get cracked down on? No. So what you have to understand is, There's no such thing as an objective arbiter of truth who's going to be totally fair and open and say the only people we'll ever ban are people who are doing violence uh, or doxing people or doing the most egregious fake news. No, because whoever, who's going to watch the watchmen? Whoever decides I'm going to be the one who controls this, they have their own biases and their own opinions. And, you know, they're not going to be truly fair and objective. So that's why the best case scenario is you should treat social media like a right, treat it as the new public square. So when somebody says something that's genuinely a fringe, lunatic opinion, as long as they're not directly threatening violence um, or doing just the most clear case ever of libel or slander or or doxing, well, then you have to let it stand. So, you know, this is a, a position that's, growing in popularity, but I still don't know if it's the majority opinion, but the idea is to treat uh, social media like they're public utilities to expand First Amendment protections. I think that's the only way to really address this problem. But let me give you the specifics of this. So this is um, Rania Kolick, a left-wing journalist, and she does some great reporting for this outlet called In the Now. It's kind of like a a more left-wing version of Now This, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you uh, what she tweeted about what happened to In The Now and their accounts. They usually make like short viral videos, um, but here's what she said, and I'll break it down for you. So she says, Facebook has suspended all of In The Now's Facebook pages, apparently in coordination with CNN, on the grounds that In The Now doesn't disclose who funds it, roughly funds it. This is an outrageous standard that is not applied to other outlets like NPR or AJ+. This is after weeks of CNN digging around to find dirt on us. We then reached out to CNN and let them interview us, which felt more like a police interrogation. The interviewer didn't like my anti-war political views, even attacked my criticism of Trump's coup in Venezuela. CNN says it was alerted to in the now by the German Marshall Fund, which receives funding from the U.S. government. So here you have a U.S. government funded outfit Prompting, okay, hold on, I missed, uh, wait a Prompting CNN to help get us, shit. Prompting CNN to help get us kicked off Facebook. This is a case where the U.S. government has found a legal loophole to suppress speech. In this case, that is critical of destructive U.S. government policies around the world. Even if you hate what I say in my videos, you should be outraged by this speech suppression cnn should be ashamed for helping the u.s government suppress speech they don't like they claim to be for a free and open media but their behavior in coordinating with facebook to shut down in the now shows what bs that is cnn is in state media but it sure acts like it one more thing facebook suspended us on the grounds we don't disclose we receive funding from Rupley, whose parent company is rt but this standard is not applied to npr aj or trt It's discrimination, part of a McCarthyist witch hunt. Even if you despise Rania Kalik and her work, this is beyond egregious. This is really political censorship. She has taken a stand, for example, on the issue of Syria, on the issue of Venezuela. She's directly countering the regime change propaganda that's being used uh, in Venezuela And this is The Establishment Strikes Back. Now, if you remember, a while ago, um, there was a story that broke. Facebook pulled down about 800 political pages. And they had, uh, honestly, pretty silly arguments as to why, oh, my God, we have to pull them down. And they included a lot of anti-war outlets as well as anti-establishment outlets. So you had, like, the anti-media was in there. Um, I'm blanking on some of the others now, but back when I was on Rogan's podcast, I gave, like, the list. A lot, of the, a lot of the outlets were police accountability outlets. So you have such a clear example of, like, pages that are political in nature and express a viewpoint that is not viewed kindly by the powers that be. And then Facebook is now doing their bidding, and Facebook is doing the bidding of the establishment in the same way, by the way, that they did when, um, when it came to other things as well. Like they, they listened to the Israeli government. They shut down pro-Palestinian human rights outlets. Um, Facebook has these deals with other governments that to, in order to allow Facebook into various countries, Facebook has to censor certain things. And my takeaway from this recent round of censorship is very simply that Facebook is listening to actors in the U.S. government and groups that are funded by the U.S. government in order to suppress certain narratives. And it's hard to argue the contrary in a case like this where Rania Khalek, of course, by no stretch of the imagination, really violated any terms of service. By the way, on Facebook, they don't even say that, oh, you have to disclose who's funding you, but they just pulled her and said, Oh, we have to pull it because you're not disclosing who's funding you. What the fuck? I mean, naked censorship, man. It really is. And remember, she's countering regime change narratives day in, day out. Now, um, this isn't just happening on Facebook. It's happening on all of social media. So on Twitter, for example, there's this account that propped up after Kamala Harris um, announced her campaign. The, the name of the account was Katmala. Now, why? Because Kamala Harris is a cop. She's a prosecutor. And she was responsible for, for example, um, supporting civil asset forfeiture. Okay, that's legalized robbery by cop. If you support that, you're supporting legalized robbery by cop. She laughed at the idea of legalizing marijuana. Um, She supported criminally cracking down on truancy, which is crazy and a really right-wing idea. So, Kamala props up, and the Kamala... Um, account released video of uh, Kamala Harris talking about the issue of truancy where she lays out her philosophy. And there's other videos there as well, and it's basically very critical of Kamala Harris. The entire account is just all to counter her uh, campaign. Now, that's what's called freedom. We live in what's supposed to be a free country. So if people want to prop up anti Bernie Sanders accounts and they want to run those all day, they do. And they can. And it's not like I come out here and call for all the anti-Bernie Sanders accounts to be censored. It's called freedom. It is what it is. But the Kamala Harris account, Kopmala, was pulled. And it was pulled under sketchy circumstances. They say, oh, you're impersonating. Impersonating? The name of the site is Kopmala, not Kamala. It's Kopmala. It's obviously an account that was created to counter her campaign. Now, you could like that or dislike that, but that's what it is. It's not impersonation. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, take a look at this. This article came out not too long ago. Twitter suspends anti-Kamala Harris accounts suspected of being trolls. What does that mean? Twitter this week suspends at least two accounts suspected of troll-like behavior targeting presidential contender Senator Kamala Harris of California as well as other Democratic candidates. The accounts were created recently and had few followers, but they posted easily shareable content about the senator's record as prosecutor that earned an outsized audience on the platform. One of those accounts claims to belong to a black man in the South who opposes Harris and supports Senator Bernie Sanders, who's exploring a presidential run of his own. Kamala Harris... Now, here's the thing. It's already super questionable, because they're just saying, like, oh, they're trolls. What does that mean? And who said trolling is illegal? You could troll. Trolling is part of social media. Like, they say it as if that's, like, an argument in and of itself. Like, oh, they're a troll, so we obviously get to ban them. What the fuck? Kamala Harris, her former press secretary. Now, I didn't, I heard this, I thought it was a conspiracy theory, I wasn't sure if it was true, so I asked for verification, and people, sent, people showed me. Kamala Harris' former press secretary now works for Twitter. And would you look at that? The top accounts that were criticizing Kamala Harris were now pulled from Twitter. Now, you might say, well, listen, these are, these are isolated examples. So what? The anti-media gets pulled down. So what? The Free Thought Project gets pulled down. So what? Police accountability groups get pulled down on Facebook. Um, so what? Rania Kallick's outlet uh, gets pulled down when she's countering regime change day in and day out and they come up with a bullshit rationale. This doesn't mean that there's an anti-establishment crackdown. There's a, an account. This is amazing. There's an account. That was a parody of Rachel Maddow. Now, if you were going to parody Rachel Maddow in today's day and age, what would you name that parody account? What would you do with that parody account? Russia Maddow is the name of the parody account because what does Rachel Maddow do? She hyperventilates about Russia day in and day out to the point where she is a self-parody. I mean, she's a self-parody. It's hilarious when you watch her show. All she talks about is Russia all the time. It's, it's stunning. In fact, The Intercept did a study on this. This is back when the Russia issue was only an issue for like a month but they looked at, over this time span, how much um, has she spoke about other issues versus Russia? She spoke about Russia more than every other issue combined. So there was a parody account called Russia Maddow where they tweeted shit just like Russia. <laughs> and they, it, was, it was hilarious. In fact, I just followed it recently and retweeted it a bunch because I thought it was fucking hilarious. Because that's so true that that's what Rachel Maddow does. Well, guess what? That was suspended also. So, listen, even if you're kind to Twitter and Facebook and like, okay, no, seriously, these outlets did violate the terms of service. What fucking argument could you have that Russia Maddow violated the terms of service? Or Kamala violated the terms of service? That's not impersonation. Everybody who looks at that knows it's not Kamala Harris. Everybody who looks at Russia Maddow knows it's not Rachel Maddow. They know it's a parody of Rachel Maddow. Sometimes, like when Peter Douche was suspended, that was a parody account of Peter Dow, the most pro-Hillary silly person on the planet. It said parody in his fucking bio. It may have said parody right in the bio of Russia Maddow. But they pull it down anyway. Why? Because it appears like the smoke-filled backroom conspiracy is real when it comes to social media. And sure, they might in some instances say, hey, listen, you know, a guy like Gavin McGinnis, where he's on video saying, I support violence and we should do violence. What they do is they take a case where you really can't argue against it, where it's like, okay, he's calling for direct threats of violence, so you can pull him down. Nobody could argue against that, really, because what are you going to do? Say direct threats of violence are okay? You can't make that argument. That's preposterous. So they take a case where, like that, and then what happens is it's the slippery slope. They go, oh, well, well, hey, you all agree that we can pull down whoever we want, right? You all agree that it makes sense to have some sort of management team pull down accounts, right? Well, now you open that door. And now that door's open, now we see a lot of stuff that on political grounds we're going to start pulling down because we don't like the message they're sending out there. And so that's where we are today. There are many, uh, you know, right-wing outlets that are pulled down. Some of them unfairly, man. It's true, there's a lot of unfair pulling down of of right-wing accounts. Even though I don't agree with those accounts, they they should have the right to speak on social media. But by the same token, now we're seeing a massive uptick of it on the left. And the final point is, I fucking warned you of this. I warned you of this. I warned you that once you allow censorship, the idea that you're only going to be able to use it, like target it on the people you don't like, you have to be a moron to believe that. Censorship historically has been used first and foremost against marginalized groups. Because guess what? The power establishment is not too kind to the mar- uh, to the marginalized groups. By definition, they're power centers. So, you know, that's why... Um, for example, for free speech law in the U.S., oftentimes, crackdowns on speech, you know who it was used against? The Civil Rights Movement. So you had you know, the white establishment saying, uh, all these rabble-rousers coming here trying to change the way we do shit, ban this march. They shouldn't be allowed to do it. So if you support censorship, it always comes back to bite the left in the ass. Always comes back to bite the left in the ass. And now you're seeing clear examples of it right here where anti-war voices strong anti-war voices are being pulled down so this is the current state of affairs and it is fucking terrifying man it is if they could just pull down an established outlet that was doing anti-war content like that and just claim like oh yeah funded by whatever even though it's not a rule that you have to disclose you're funded by you're funded by RT therefore you're eliminated well again, like she said, where's that standard when it comes to the other outlets, where's that standard when it comes to, I don't know, BBC, AJ+, so on and so forth. turns out if you're an ally of the U.S. government, oh, that's fine. But if we don't, if you're not an ally of the U.S. government and we don't like what you're saying, then you're gone. So everybody should stand in solidarity with Ron you know, Send her a tweet of support, um, and hopefully they restore the accounts because this is sheer madness. Okay, now let's go to Morning Joe, making asses of themselves. So thankfully, the Amazon deal in New York has been killed. Um, Well, guess what? Morning Joe, the epicenter of establishment groupthink, They decided to launch out, launch out, lash out, excuse me, at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez over this, which is kind of curious because I don't know why she's the figurehead of the anti-Amazon deal movement. She's not. She just happens to be a congresswoman from New York who didn't agree with the Amazon deal, but she wasn't first and foremost responsible for this. A lot of activists are responsible for killing this deal. But um, take a look at how they lash out at her, and I have a lot to say about this.
4: Americans still have the power to organize and fight for their communities and they can have more say in this country than the richest man in the world. What do you say to those that um, criticize them pulling out that you know, the district now is going to lose 25,000 jobs that could there? Well, one of those things is, A, we were subsidizing those jobs. So for the, – the city was paying for those jobs, so frankly, if we were willing to give Amazon three – if we were will, willing to give away $3 billion for this deal, we could invest those $3 billion in our district ourselves if we wanted to. We could hire out more teachers. We can fix our subways. We can put a lot of people to work for that money if we wanted to. Susan,
5: what's your reaction? Nope.
4: She's just wrong. It's not like you have this pile of money that is going to Amazon. This isn't tax incentives. You cannot fund schools with money that does not exist. That's part of the budget process. She had in her agenda, she wanted to make, a present, you know, a, a, make something for herself. She didn't look at the district. She didn't speak to the member that represents the district. She, this is a stunt for herself. And the fact that she chose to make it about Rich versus poor. She, her conclusion was, is that workers beat the richest man um, in, on the earth. That's not a good argument. You want to have a conversation about tax incentives being good, and do, do, do corporations deserve it? That's one thing. But she went there because it's part of her shtick, and that's all she has. There is no substance behind it. Well, I would
5: say. What's interesting is the argument against the Amazon deal in Long Island City is a conservative argument, which is that you don't go company by company handing out tax breaks. You lower the tax burden in the state, state, and the politicians don't pick winners and losers, make it a more hospitable place to do business, and Amazon comes naturally and gets the $3 billion tax incentive from a reduction in overall tax rates That's a conservative argument, not a liberal. The liberal argument is, you know, give me that money so I can use it for something else. But as Susan said, there is no money. There's no there's – no, this It's not like building a stadium. It's true that, you know, cities and uh, states build stadiums, pay for the stadium, and then hand it to a team. That's horrible corporate welfare, and everybody in the country is sort of learning of the egregiousness of that. This is something else. So there's going to be no business in Long Island City that, has, that creates 25,000 new jobs because Amazon's gone. Hey, Willie, if you're Amazon and you're bringing 25,000
2: new jobs to a district and you're going to improve the infrastructure and you're going to improve the quality of life there, I mean, out of 50 states, uh, how many do you think would beg uh, Amazon to come? Uh, 49, maybe?
5: Well, they already are. I mean, when this news broke yesterday, just about every state threw their hand up, including, by the way, Newark across the yes. river, said, wait, remember us, we wanted this. We can just <laughs> move you across the river and we'll be done with it. Yeah. Mike Allen, it. Uh, Mike Allen, what are you hearing about this? What's the reaction on Capitol Hill and, and the uh, where you're covering? Yeah, Willie, uh, someone who's been at ground zero of New York politics explained to me
3: the Bezos thinking. He said, I stood up the National Enquirer's blackmail. I'm not going to be pushed around Mm -hmm. by every politician in
2: Queens. Well, yes, Jeff Bezos is a
0: victim.
1: Now, it must be hard being the richest man in the world with almost every state in the union throwing gobs of cash at you to bring your city jobs to their area. I mean, they are so massively disconnected. Now, first and foremost, let me just fight back against this one Propaganda point, which has been brought up. People are saying, "Oh, there's a poll that shows the overwhelming majority of New Yorkers uh, want uh, the Amazon jobs to come to the state." Now, first of all, what was the wording on that poll? Because everything is in the framing of it. For example, back when you said, "Hey, you support Obamacare," back you know, going back five years ago or, or so, it would be underwater. It, it wouldn't even be a majority that say they support Obamacare. When you change the framing to Affordable Care Act. People go, oh, I love that. So it's all in the framing of the question. That's the first point. And I'm sure they framed it like, do you support Amazon jobs coming to New York? When it's framed like that, first of all, everybody's going to say yes. But second of all, the poll massively, massively oversampled people living in the suburbs who are not going to get the direct impact of this. So it's it's a skewed poll. It's like when they do the 2020 um, Democratic uh, primary polls, and they massively oversample older people. Well, guess what? If the youth vote turns out, your polls are worth Dickie McGee's acts now, aren't they? Because young people overwhelmingly prefer Bernie Sanders, older people prefer Biden, and you're oversampling the older people and making it seem like Biden's got this giant lead on Bernie, which is absolutely ridiculous. So you gotta, there's this old saying, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Yeah, that's true sometimes. Sometimes numbers are Make perfect sense, but they have to be in context. As long as the numbers are in context, there's no better... If the numbers are in context, then the old saying, numbers don't lie, is correct. When the numbers are out of context, yeah, then there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. So um, that's the first point. Now the second point is, these cackling idiots, I told you, this is like the, the epicenter of establishment groupthink. This video on YouTube, I went and I read, I looked at the like to dislike bar, well over 50% dislikes, reading the comments, everybody's like, you guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about, and you're not at all representing what most people think on issues like this. So, you saw how they just framed the Amazon deal. Oh, benevolent, wonderful Jeff Bezos, world-richest man, is a victim of terrible politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Look at this from Capitol Maine. This is, uh, David Sirota wrote this. In the wake of when the Amazon deal was launched, Democratic Democratic Assemblyman Ron Kim announced that he will introduce legislation to slash New York's economic development subsidies and use the money to buy up and cancel student debt, a move he said would provide a bigger boost to the state's economy. The legislation, says Kim, would halt any Cuomo administration offer of taxpayer money to Amazon, which could reap up to $1 billion in tax incentives if it moves to Long Island City. The deal is a goodie bag for Amazon. It includes everything from a $325 million cash grant to a promise that taxpayers will help secure a helipad for Amazon executives. I'm a New Yorker. I've been my whole life. My tax money is going to go to pay for a fucking helipad for the richest man in the world and his gaggle of shitty executives? That's what my tax money is going to go to: $325 million cash grant up to a billion dollars in tax incentives. Listen, if Amazon wants to come to New York, by all means, go right ahead and come to New York. I got no problem with that whatsoever. But we're not going to do it on your terms. This isn't supposed to be a fucking corporatocracy where you hold out to extract from state governments. So you're holding out. You're holding the jobs over the heads of of working people. And uh, you're trying to figure out who will roll out the red carpet the most and who you can shake down the most and whose treasury you can loot the most. That's what this is. That's not the way the country is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be a corporatocracy where the, the billionaires get to hold over everybody's head and then you have to roll out the red carpet and give them everything they want. Or how about... All of the states should agree, zero incentives for the richest man in the world, and he can set up shop wherever the fuck he wants to set up shop, but he's not going to get corporate welfare and taxpayer subsidies in the process. Why should he? Why should he? I mean, what a ridiculous idea to actually support the notion. By the way, they're half right, half wrong when they say it's a conservative argument. Yes and no. The reality is, yes, good libertarians will say, well, I'm against welfare and I'm principled, so that means I'm against corporate welfare too, so I'm not supporting this. So there's a libertarian and left-wing alliance to act like this isn't a left-wing position. No, it is a left-wing position to say, I'm against corporate welfare. It's why the left doesn't support the $80 billion uh, subsidies to big banks every year that we do. It's why the left doesn't support the $4 billion in subsidies to ExxonMobil that we do every year. Being against corporate welfare is not a left-wing position? What the fuck do you know, dipshit? These guys, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Now, probably the most important point is this. Jeff Bezos... Amazon made $11 billion in 2018. You know how much they paid in federal taxes? Zero. This is the second year in a row that Amazon paid zero in federal taxes. And again, in 2018, $11 billion. On $11 billion, they They paid zero in taxes. And the idiots on Morning Joe are portraying Jeff Bezos as a fucking victim. As a fucking victim. No, the reality is, he's the welfare queen. That's what he is. He's the perpetrator. He ain't the victim. He's shaking down state governments all over this country, trying to hose the taxpayers for as much as possible. And by the way, this bill that I just told you about, no, take the money and cancel student loan debt instead, studies show that would help the economy more. So the argument that, oh, no, 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 you guys are crazy lefties and you don't understand, this is going to help the economy. That's why we're for all this stuff. It's going to help the economy, which helps working people. That's why we're for all this stuff. Not true. Chris Christie gave massive corporate welfare to get corporations in New Jersey, and they didn't hire anybody. They promised the moon at the beginning when they made the deal. Oh, we're going to hire thousands of people. It's going to be wonderful. They net-fired people. I'm not kidding about this. So what does that? It shows you corporate welfare and right-wing economics doesn't work. It doesn't work. Zero dollars on $11 billion. Zero in taxes on $11 billion. And they're portraying this guy as the victim as opposed to a tax-dodging maniac who gets a, to hire a team of lawyers to help him legally dodge taxes. He's the problem in this country. He's not the solution. Tax is punk ass. Tax his ass, and there should, every state should get together and agree. No, none of us give any incentives whatsoever. So he gets to choose where to put his Amazon uh, headquarters. He can choose to do that. That's totally cool. Anywhere in the country you want, buddy. Anywhere in the country you want. But you don't get corporate welfare from anybody. Want to know why? because you have like 130 billion dollars and you don't fucking need it. If you need subsidies, then everybody else needs it way more than you do cuz you're the richest man in the world, asshole. Fucking taxpayer-funded helipad. They didn't even mention the taxpayer-funded helipad in their shitty segment on Amazon as they're berating AOC. Oh, please. Fuck out of here. They're so out of touch. But this is such a this is such an illustrative um segment because it shows you guys they still don't get it and they're never going to get it corporate media is never going to get it the republicans obviously are never going to get it but the corporate democrats are never going to get it either they are up their own ass in this elitist fantasy land and they're never going to break free All right, Rush Limbaugh time. So Rush Limbaugh went on Fox News this weekend, and the host, Chris Wallace, nailed his ass to the wall over his support of Trump's executive action on the border wall. Take a look.
6: The fact is that when President Obama took executive actions, you were outraged, and as you would expect, I've got a couple of examples of Rush Limbaugh over the years. Let's put them on the screen. In June of 2012, when President Obama deferred action against the Dreamers, you said this, 40 years ago, Richard Nixon was hounded out of office, supposedly, for his illegal actions. And I'm telling you that whatever Nixon did pales in comparison to just this move by Obama today. In November of 2014, on reports that Mr. Obama was going to protect millions of parents of DREAMers, you said this, we can't just stand idly by and try to find some political opportunity while the president basically shreds the Constitution and flushes it down the toilet. So here's my question, Rush. I understand that you like what President Trump is doing, and you didn't like what President Obama was doing, but that's the concern here, is that to the degree that you give the president more and more powers, yes, you're going to get some things, executive powers from one president you like, but you're going to get things, executive powers from another president that you don't like. You may look at it that way. I don't. I look at it right and wrong. And what Obama was doing was
3: furthering this existing problem. In a, He was politicizing this, using whatever executive powers he wanted to use. Yes, I objected to that, but primarily because of what he was doing with these executive powers. He was taking action that I deemed to be harmful to the country. I look at what Trump is doing as something he has to do because he's not getting any cooperation of so both parties, Chris.
6: Let's be honest
3: here. Both parties have people that are still trying to get rid of Donald Trump. Uh,
1: to sum his answer up in a more succinct way, he said,
0: <laughs>
1: That was Rush Limbaugh's response there. You know, there's an underrated point that needs to be made here. A lot of the arguments coming from the left against these far-right commentators like Rush Limbaugh, a lot of the arguments center around them being like evil and immoral. And I'm not here to argue against that. But what I am here to say is the underrated point is they're really, really, really dumb. In fact, I think their stupidity overrides their immorality. Now, here's why I say that. Uh, and I've pointed this out going years back on the show. You could see it in old school videos from Secular Talk. I don't think that they have whatever mechanism it is in the brain that allows you to recognize your own hypocrisy. They don't have that thing. Like, hypocrisy just doesn't click. It doesn't register. they are not They're not impacted by it. They don't get the concept. So... When you say, hey, wait a second now, the principle that you have routinely claimed to support is small government. And the principle you've routinely claimed to support is I'm against executive orders, I'm against executive action. Like that's what you've been saying all these years. So now Trump comes along and he does an executive order, executive action on the border wall, and all of a sudden you love it. So do you not understand? You flipped on the principle there. You flipped on the principle, and there's just no acknowledgement or recognition that he did that. And his reaction is basically, well, this is about, you know, uh, good and bad. So what Trump is doing is good, what Obama did was bad, therefore, it's all fine and dandy. No, Rush, you don't get it, that's not how it works. See, when you're dealing with something like a country and governing, there's this little thing called precedent, So if you say it's okay that Donald Trump gets to willy-nilly declare a national emergency and just do everything on his own, do an executive order on his own and do the border, well, then what you're saying is President Bernie Sanders gets to do a Medicare for All system by declaring an executive action and saying it's a national emergency. I'm just going to do it. We uh, we need to uh, wean our way off of fossil fuels over the next 10 years because President Ocasio-Cortez says we got to do it because of uh, climate change. But of course, If and when we cross that bridge, Rush Limbaugh comes out and says, I'm against big government like this. I'm against executive action like this. You can't just declare a national emergency. What are you, a dictator? But you just supported it when it was Trump. They don't get the idea of, hey, here's a principle, and you have to apply that principle across the board. They don't get He doesn't get it. That doesn't register in his head. He just thinks, uh, Republican, good. Democrat, bad. Republican, do anything. Don't matter principle. He's a fucking Neanderthal. He's a dumbass. He's a dumbass. It's amazing. It really is amazing watching these guys function. Because you, and here's the thing, guys. You would think he would come up with a better line of bullshit than what he just said right there. See, that's how, if he came up with a more convincing line of bullshit, I would say, okay, he does recognize his hypocrisy, and he's trying to weasel out of saying, oh, no, this isn't hypocritical because XYZ. He doesn't do that. He's just like, but uh, Trump good, Obama bad. So that principle that I've said I believed in for my whole fucking career, don't believe in it at all. And I support Trump because Trump, Trump good, border wall good, don't big government now good even though it was just bad. Executive order now good even though it was just bad. So yeah, credit to Chris Wallace there because basically the way he framed that, it was going to be really hard for a dumbass like Rush Limbaugh to wiggle out and Rush basically didn't even try. He's like, yep, you tapped me. We're playing ju- we're we're doing jujitsu and I tap. You're right. you got me. What, you, what am I gonna say? You got me, Dick. So and it final point is it's funny how people have to pretend like Rush Limbaugh is still relevant. He's not. He's not at all relevant. First of all, AM radio is just dead, dead, dead. Second of all, Rush on his flagship station, which was WABC here in New York, um, there like five years ago. They had stopped playing regular commercials and went to public service announcements and dead air in his break time. Okay, you know what that is, son? That's called unprofitable. That's called you're is going to be kicked off. And guess what? He was. He was kicked off this flagship station. So now he's only still on the air, honestly, because of the, the sugar daddies over at uh, all the right-wing think tanks and the Koch brothers. So you have, you know, American Enterprise Institute, Heritage Foundation, All the right-wing commentators are basically welfare queens to those right-wing think tanks. They get money from uh, right-wing billionaire donors who want these guys to keep pushing their propaganda. And so they don't don't know or don't care that Rush Limbaugh is speaking to 17 dudes at a retirement center now. And that he goes on Fox News, you know, once a year, and they pretend like he's relevant, which is hilarious. By the way, Trump said in a speech recently, he's the most listened to, unbelievable, most listened to talk show, millions of people. And, you know, Rush Limbaugh, in the back of his mind, had to be watching that going, God damn, if only he knew I'm super irrelevant now. So it's just funny that mainstream media treats him like he's serious when he's been irrelevant for quite a time now. Okay. Now let's talk about Tulsi Gabbard. So Tulsi Gabbard is releasing these short video clips on her YouTube channel from the campaign trail. Right now she's in Iowa. Take a look.
4: There's an issue that is central to the rest. And that issue is the issue of war and peace and the cost of war. We must address this issue in ending these regime wars, ending this new, co- new Cold War to remove this dark shadow of a nuclear catastrophe that sits over us today. Then we can take our limited and precious resources and focus on investing them and in rebuilding in our communities here at home, investing them in our families,
0: investing them in
1: So it looks like she has a pretty uh, experienced, like, documentary team with her on the campaign trail because those are, like, highly produced quality videos there. Like, the quality is really high. Um, So she keeps putting war front and center. And she's doing that. First of all, that's a brilliant political move because what she's doing is taking the issue of war, and hooking into it the issue of infrastructure and how we need these funds for our own country. And that's a powerful, powerful message. In fact, there's a strong argument that that was one of the reasons why Trump won, is because that's a theme he kept hitting on the campaign trail, is I'm going to stop outsourcing your jobs, I'm going to stop the regime change wars, and I'm going to use the money to rebuild our own country. And Tulsi is making that case. And with Tulsi, there's a less... Trump spoke out of both sides of his mouth and contradicted himself. With Tulsi, she's not doing that. She's just saying, yeah, um, I'm against regime change wars and we need to rebuild our own country with our precious resources. Why are we wasting them overseas? Um, so that's a powerful case to make. And then the other thing that she's doing that I think is really important, and honestly, she, I think she's massively underrated at this point in terms of what kind of an impact she's going to have on the race. I think she'll have a bigger impact than most people realize. Um, she keeps attacking both political parties. Now, this is something that high-paid, idiot Democratic strategists would tell you, oh, how could you? Don't do that. But really, they, again, this is another example. You're not going to be surprised to hear. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Okay? There's a reason why Congress has an approval rating of like 19%. There's a reason why people feel like Congress is bought and owned. There's a reason why there's this hatred towards the political establishment. It's there. So if you run against the two parties, even though she's running from within the two parties, it's the only viable way to actually win, but if if her message is against the two parties, that resonates big time, even in a Democratic primary, in the same way it uh, it works in a Republican primary, too, because people are sick of the status quo. So here comes somebody saying, I don't like either one of them, and let me tell you what I'm about. And that resonates, man. So I think she's still underrated, And as time goes by, when the debates happen and whatnot, you'll see that she's more of a force to be reckoned with than people realize. And this message is potent. It's a potent message. Because honestly, think about it. Even Bernie Sanders hasn't put war front and center. Now, I actually think some people say, oh, Bernie's got a blind spot on foreign policy. To the extent that he does, it's not as big as most people make it out to be. I actually think he's good on most of the foreign policy issues. Um, But it is certainly true that he does not put war front and center. He's more domestic and economic policy front and center. Um, and Tulsi's making a point of saying, no, war is front and center. I'm against the wars. And then she's trying to link in the, okay, we can use these funds to rebuild our own country, so why wouldn't we do that? So there you have it, Tulsi Gabbard in Iowa on the campaign trail. And I'm sure we'll see more videos from her and others in Iowa in the near future. All right, now we go to Lindsey Graham. Bitch. So Lindsey Graham is going to say the quiet part loud here and show you how insane some of these far-right priorities are. He went on Face the Nation. He's going to talk about Trump's border wall and what the funding was going to go towards instead. Look at this
4: just declared a national emergency in regard to getting the funds for his border wall. In terms of getting those funds though through this emergency action, there's about 3.6 billion of it uh, that could come from military construction efforts, including construction of a middle school in Kentucky, housing for military families, improvements for bases like Camp Pendleton and Hanscom Air Force Base. Aren't you concerned that some of these projects that were part of uh, legislation that you helped approve in Congress are now going to possibly be cut out? Well, the President will have to make a decision
6: where to get the money. Let's just say for a moment that he took some money out of the military construction budget. I would say it's better for the middle school kids in Kentucky to have a secure border we'll get them the school they need but right now we got a national emergency on our hands opioid addiction is going through the roof in this country thousands of americans died last year and dying this year because we can't control the flow of drugs into this country and all of it's coming across the border because our the border is
4: by a broken to the border the, to to the border patrolled <laughs> the
0: up
1: Man, I, I wish that they were just honest every time they spoke. You know, because uh, election, elections would be easy for the left. <laughs> Fuck your new school. Send the money to the border. <laughs> and, of course, botches the facts as well. They really do live in, in a you know, a fantasy land. He, he's talking about... Oh, we got you. Got to get this opioid crisis under control. Well, like I've said for years now, what do you want to do? Build a wall around fucking GlaxoSmithKline and Merck and the big pharma companies? That's where the opioid crisis starts. Well, yeah, but then they import uh, stuff from um, Mexico, and yeah, but again, like she said, it comes through legal ports of entry. So for you to build a wall in the desert, that's not how it's getting in here. So what are you doing? Yeah, but we got this crisis, and we got to address it. Really? But uh, the crime stats show that um, undocumented immigrants and documented immigrants commit crime at a lower rate than native-born citizens. Yeah, but still, I don't know. I still just agree with building the wall. Like, just be honest and upfront and be like, we kind of have this religious view in a way, like this fundamentalist religious view of we like the wall, even if it doesn't solve any problems. It's like this symbolic thing that we just like now. Just admit it. Just say that, because that's the truth. The truth is, it's become, it has a life of its own. Even if you could prove in 97 ways this Sunday, which you can, that the wall, wall is, forget immoral, ineffectual, even for what you say you want to fix. they are still like, nope, I don't care, like it, like the wall. Pro wall, that's me, pro wall. Okay, well, you sound dumb, but thank you for telling everybody exactly uh, what you really believe, because it's hilarious when you say it that clearly. Like, yeah, forget the school. New school, new shmuel. Who cares? Border wall. All right, let me take a final break, and then when we come back, uh, Trump told us a, st- a hilarious story in the Rose Garden the other day, and I'm going to play that for you, and we can laugh together. And then also a wild story um, that honestly should have never happened in America. An 11-year-old Florida boy was arrested for refusing to stand for the pledge. I just let the cat out of the bag and told you. Anyway, we'll be right back with that and more. Phones. Welcome to the jungle, bitch. Ugh. All right, let me tell you a hilarious story. And you will likely laugh along with me. Um, <clears throat> where's my video of Trump talking casually? Always funny when Dickhead McGee's act goes off script. So this next story is beyond hilarious Trump, oh, I got the wrong graphic, that happens quite often Whoopsies, start again So this next story is absolutely hilarious Trump told an interesting story in the Rose Garden the other day Let me play that for you And then we could all laugh
2: together. Prime Minister Abe of Japan gave me the most beautiful copy of a letter that he sent to the people who give out a thing called the Nobel Prize. He (laughs) said, I have nominated you or respectfully on behalf of Japan. I am asking them to give you the Nobel Peace Prize. You know why? Because he had rocket ships, and he had missiles flying over Japan, and they had alarms going off. You know that. Now, all of a sudden, they feel good. They feel safe. I did that.
1: (laughs) It's it's record-breaking how much he wants to suck his own dick, man. Holy shit. (laughs) I did that.
2: Unbelievable. Listen... So I got this unbelievable, tremendous letter from Abe, Abe of Japan. And he says, on behalf of the people of Japan, I want to get
1: you this little thing called the Nobel Prize. I have to tell you, tremendous. You want to know what really happened? Look at this. U.S. asked Japanese leader to nominate Trump for Nobel Prize. He's utterly shameless. Okay, there was an old story, but it was such a telling story. It really was. It speaks so much to who Trump is. Donald Trump used to call these, like, tabloid magazines in New York, and he would pretend to be his own publicist. And he would say, um, you know, uh, oh, Trump is hes tremendous. He's got these, all these uh, famous beautiful women are knocking down his door, and they want to be with him. He he dated he said no to Madonna or something like that. Something about dating Madonna and dating all these stars. And he would call these outlets and say he's like John what was the word what was the name? Some really bland like name that he called himself and he pretended to be his own publicist, but on the phone calls, you can 100% tell it's him. It's his voice. He's pretending to be somebody to suck his own dick and get his name in the magazines as if he's dating all these like beautiful models and shit. It's so sad. Like he's, he's so shameless in self-promotion, and he's got such a fragile ego. He wants everybody to think he's like the best person ever. And then now he's doing the same shit now. So this is the same shit. Just fast forward, and now as a fucking world leader, it's the same shit. He told the prime minister of Japan to recommend him, or he told somebody in his staff who then told the prime minister of Japan to recommend Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, listen, the one sliver of credit that I give him is that this is actually one of the issues where, where he's done the best thing he could have done. Like, on most issues, Trump is just a standard uh, Republican, just like how Mitt Romney would govern or any other tax cuts for the rich, you name it. But this is one issue on North Korea where, randomly, he's just like, no, I'm going to actually try to make peace. But the real person who deserves um, the Nobel Peace Prize would be the South Korean president, Um, President Moon, or or Prime Minister, I don't know if it's President or Prime Minister in South Korea, forgive me, South Koreans, but he deserves the Nobel Peace Prize, because all the reports say that basically Moon is so smart that he knows I'm going to stroke Trump's ego and give him the credit as I sit down and make peace with North Korea and do all the actual work involved. And he's allowing Trump to get credit as he does the peace deal. And obviously Trump loves it, because now if he actually is getting credit for the peace deal, he'll take it, because he's getting credit for something. So on the issue of North Korea, unironically, I say, good, I'm happy Trump is doing what he's doing. Let Moon take the lead. You can take the credit. I don't give a fuck as long as we don't go to war. So it's a rare issue where he's done a good job. But I have a rule. The Kyle rule is you cannot get the Nobel Peace Prize if you've ordered a drone strike. (laughs) It can't be done. Trump has. Obama has. Obama shouldn't have got the Nobel Peace Prize. He bombed seven different countries. Donald Trump bombed eight different countries. He can't do it. He's pushing for regime change in in Iran and Venezuela now. And you want the Nobel Peace Prize? Go fuck yourself. How about that? So good job on North Korea, but the rest of them, no. And man, some things never change. His ego is fucking
2: through the roof. Okay.
1: All right, so here's uh, another story where this should have never happened in America. 11-year-old boy was arrested for refusing to stand for the pledge of allegiance. So this was in Lakeland, Florida. What happened was a substitute teacher asked the boy. So everybody was standing for the pledge. She asked the boy why he wasn't standing for the pledge. And his response was, the anthem is offensive and racist. So she responded, why, if it was so bad here, did he not go to live in another place? And he answered saying, they brought me here. So she pressed on the issue and said, well, you can always go back because I came here from Cuba And the day I feel I'm not welcome here anymore, I would find another place to live. Um, And then she says, quote, I had to call the office because I did not want to continue dealing with him. Then they took disciplinary action against him. Then I think he was charged. The police charged him with something. Whoa. Okay, so um, it was like resisting arrest was one charge and there was another charge. I forget what it was not disorderly conduct, but some weird thing like that. Um, So here's the deal. Let's break this down. First of all, I need everybody to keep it real in that this is an 11-year-old boy. Does the 11-year-old boy have actual political opinions? No. So when the 11-year-old boy says the anthem is offensive and racist, that's the 11-year-old boy saying, my mom, or my mom and dad, or just my parents think the anthem is offensive and racist, and I'm going to parrot that. So when you're 11, you don't have independent political thought. It's not a thing. That's too young to have independent political thought. So this is, let's be honest and upfront about that. That This isn't like a principled stand from the little kid. It's just not. It's the kid regurgitating whatever the parent or parents say. Okay. That's what that is. It, It is what it is. Now, having said that, does that matter? No, not at all. Should the kid have been arrested? No. Should it be a charge? No. Should the kid have even been sent to the office? No. The real problem in this story is honestly the snowflake substitute who thought, like, how dare you? You better show respect and you better, you know, fall in line for the pledge. But listen, man, I think the fundamental contradiction of what this substitute teacher did and what all the other people who've done similar things, the fundamental contradiction there is you cannot say we live in the land of the free and then try to force somebody to do something, especially somebody as arbitrary and symbolic as the pledge. Uh, you know, I'm a longtime supporter of not having the pledge in schools, longtime supporter of not having the pledge or um, patriotic shit in, um, like, the national anthem in sporting events. It, it, I mean, it really is mindless to do that. It makes no sense. And um, it doesn't, fo- like, people on the right say, oh, it fosters a sense of national pride and spirit. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You go through the motions. You don't know what you're doing. I look back on me standing and saying the pledge when I was a kid in school, and it's just you're just following what you're told to do. And we, I don't want to breed little authoritarians in the country. I want to have independent thinkers. Um, and, you know, that. and by the way, this isn't to say, like, you can't like the pledge. You could like it. Of course you can. You could be incredibly patriotic. I think I'm incredibly patriotic. But you don't – the bullshit symbolism of it, that's not it. That's not – patriotism. Patriotism is actually understanding that you live in a country that gives you the freedom to not stand during the pledge. Um, Patriotism is understanding you live in a country that allows you to dissent when they do something like a fucked up offensive war. That's patriotism. Uh, So use the freedom that you're given. You can use it. And this is a case of them saying, oh, this country is so great and so free that we're going to force you to do what we want you to do. No, that makes no sense. That's very authoritarian in nature, and it's the opposite of what this country is supposed to stand for, according to our highest ideals. So even though I don't think this kid is taking, like, a principal stand, and he's a genius, and he's, like, he's, you know, oh, I I have deducted that this is a racist offensive anthem. No, I think that's bullshit. I think you're just doing what your parents told you to do. But at the same time, the school walked right into the trap and made themselves look like the biggest asses in the world. Okay. Let me do two more quick stories for you. So the DNC can't help but continue to be disconnected from reality and from the left-wing base who they're supposed to be representing. So listen to what just happened. This is from Vox. An internal fight is roiling the Democratic National Committee over whether to forego corporate PAC money and make a big statement against money in politics as the 2020 presidential election starts to shift into high high gear. A small group of committee members thinks the DNC needs to show it's serious about banning corporate PAC donations, taking the same step as many presidential candidates who have pledged to forego corporate PAC money. Others in the DNC want every tool possible to defeat President Trump. The DNC said it would only take money from corporations in line with the organization's values in 2016, but its its resolutions committee that met in Washington, D.C. this week stopped short of banning for-profit corporate PAC donations altogether. Uh, The committee instead chose to study the issue over the next 18 months. Some complained that amounts to doing nothing. Yeah, um... (laughs) They don't get it, man, and they're not going to get it, and it's really devastating. You know, the counter argument people are saying, the people who are like, well, let's keep taking the money, they're saying, hey, we need to do anything and everything we can to beat Donald Trump. So anything that gives us an advantage, we're going to take, and this gives us an advantage, so we're going to take it. But rule number one is defeat Donald Trump. End of story. Now, that doesn't sound unreasonable, but if you really think about that, applying that principle that could lead you to insane conclusions. So, for example, um, I'm sure the Democratic strategists in Washington, D.C., are absolutely convinced that the Democratic Party cannot and should not oppose Donald Trump and what he's doing in Venezuela. And so they would have an argument that goes, oh, my God, if you oppose him on Venezuela, you're gonna, you are going to make the Democratic Party look so unreasonable for standing with Maduro or some bullshit like that, and then you're going to help him win. In 2020. So in order to make sure that we defeat Donald Trump, that's rule number one. We have to agree with him in his illegal coup of another uh, foreign government and his attempt at doing another regime change war. So you see how that principle can take you to ridiculous conclusions and how if you really believe in that, you can end up becoming the enemy that you say you despise? Well, what? I mean, in order for us to be serious and in order for us to defeat Trump, we have to outright wing him on certain issues. What do you mean? We have to make sure that we're standing strong on the border. Like, this is the type of shit. This is how Democrats convince themselves they have to be Republicans. So, well, corporate PAC money, well, what do you mean? We have to stay competitive. So, in order to stay competitive, let's take the corporate PAC money and let's fall right into that trap of being insanely corrupt. And then that'll help the opposition, even though you think it's helping you and not the opposition. Now, the reality is the actual amount of corporate PAC money the DNC takes is, believe it or not, very small. They give the, the number for, in the article somewhere. Um, it's a small percentage. It's only like $144,000 out of like $25 million or something like that. That's rough numbers. Don't quote me on that. But um, that actually further proves our point, though, doesn't it? That they're not even willing to let go of the tiny amount. That they think, like, to stand on that principle, even to forego that tiny amount, uh, is like, no, we don't want to do it. Oh, my God. And believe it or not, um, Nancy Pelosi's daughter, I think Christina is her name or Christina, uh, she says what the DNC needs to understand, and she's for the DNC not taking corporate PAC money. And she's like, what the DNC needs to understand is nobody fucking trusts you. <laughs> and that's actually a great point from Nancy Pelosi's daughter. Like, no, people don't trust you and you think they trust you because you're up your own ass. Stop. Don't take the corporate PAC money. Um, but you know, the reality is you should stop taking corporate PAC money and stop taking large individual donations because whether you do that or whether you take uh, you know, money through big money bundling, which is another huge uh, corruption problem, that's the real issue. The number one way in this corrupt environment, the number one way to stay as pure as possible is to take mostly small-dollar donations, which is the Bernie Sanders model. So the DNC, unsurprisingly, still incredibly shitty, and they prove it day in and day out.
2: All right, final story of the day. Fox Business host Stuart Varney is going to do his
1: usual uh, Defend the Rich, Come Hell or High Water shtick. Watch this because it's absolutely hilarious.
6: Bill Gates is worth about $100 billion. He was asked if he deserves that money. Nobody does, he said. He told the interviewer that his fortune came from timing and luck, and he thinks he should have paid more tax as his fortune grew. I disagree. No. How much does Mr. Gates think he deserves? If he doesn't deserve $100 billion, what is a more desirable amount or more deservable amount? Cut him off at a billion? Where exactly does deservability begin and end? apply it to you. If you make, say, $100,000 a year, do you deserve it? If you make $30,000, do you deserve more? (laughs) You've opened a Pandora's box, Mr. Gates. In my opinion, you deserve as much as your brain's drive and ability brings in. And don't give us a guilt trip about earning good money. This program is not in the jealousy business. And if Bill Gates thinks he should have paid more tax, why doesn't he write a big check? He could do that, and so could all those patriotic millionaires who've appeared on this program. They've all said, tax me more, tax me more, but none of them, to my knowledge, has ever written an extra check to the Treasury. I don't think they want to pay more themselves. They want you to pay more. We're glad you're watching this program because we celebrate guilt-free success. I'll repeat, you deserve the income that your drive, brains, and ability generates. That is the American dream. No need to apologize for success.
1: It's hard to tell if he's just like playing this character or if he really believes the stuff he's saying. Because it's so over the top. Again, wrong graphic. Let me, uh, let me update that for you. Boom, shakalaka, bitch. There is fucking goofy-ass faces. Um, yeah, I mean, come on, Stu. He's so glib and flippant and smug. And it's like he's not even trying to entertain the real arguments of the other side of what he's saying. So, we don't, like, he's talking as if we already live in a meritocracy. And, Stewart, that's just not true. So, for example, 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Half of workers make $30,000 a year or less. Now, what he would say is, that's just what do you mean. That's just how hard they work. No, it's not. I know people who work two full-time jobs, and they're still poor. They still don't live above the poverty line, and they work two full-time jobs. So is that a failure of work ethic? Nope. Is that a failure of drive? Nope. What that is, Stu, is a failure of the system. We have a system that isn't a meritocracy. That doesn't reward work. That's why working people are undervalued in this country. Meanwhile, you get assholes who push numbers around on a computer screen and work three days a week, and some of them are making millions of dollars a year. Mitt Romney made $15 million a year doing nothing, sitting on his Mormon ass with his Mormon underwear. And he paid a lower tax rate than working people. Why should Mitt Romney, who doesn't actually work for a living, now he's a senator, but before he wasn't, and he was making $15 million a year, paying a 15% tax rate. Meanwhile, if you're a secretary making 80 grand a year or 90 grand a year on Wall Street, you were paying like 30 or 35% in taxes. Why should Mitt Romney, who doesn't work, pay less in tax than um, somebody who's actually working? See, the the system has been rigged, Stuart, by the billionaires and the corporations against working people. So when you rant as if we live in a meritocracy, you are just wrong. And the point Bill Gates was trying to make is, no, it's not like, I didn't actually work to earn $100 billion, but I have $100 billion, and that's why redistribution makes sense. Now, that doesn't mean you take every billionaire and make them dirt poor and take every poor person and make them a billionaire. No. It means we're allowed to use our minds and be reasonable and try to determine, hey, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense? What would be equal opportunity? So what do you have to give people to make that floor reasonable so we have, you know, so that we can say, okay, you have a shot now. And then if they don't make it, sorry, it's on you. You didn't make it, but we gave you a fair shot. See, right now, Stu, the point is people aren't getting a fair shot. That's the point. When you got one point, uh, over one trillion dollars, 1.5 or whatever it is, trillion dollars in student loan debt, and people can't even file for bankruptcy on that debt, so they're paying it off until they're fucking in their 50s, and they don't have a real shot in this economy. I mean, That's a problem. When, people, when medical bills are one of the top causes of bankruptcy in this country, that's a problem. We don't have equal opportunity. Other developed countries have uh, the health care taken care of. So Now, I just want to give two facts here. Um, one of them is the richest point zero 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 two five percent of Americans owns more wealth than the bottom 150 million Americans. So, that, like the Walton family, six people, they have more wealth than forty five percent of the country combined. Did they just work harder? No, they didn't work harder. That's the point, Stu, and that's what you're not grappling with. By the way, it's provable. Sixty percent of wealth in America is inherited. So when you look at these massively rich people, 60% of it's inherited. So that's their welfare queen. 60% welfare queens. He doesn't he doesn't care. He thinks they deserve that for some reason, but if you give a couple bucks so a poor kid could eat. Somehow that's not fair, and that's parasites, and, that, and they're moochers, and they don't deserve that. But welfare for the rich, oh, that's fine. I'm not even going to say that's welfare. I'm going to say they earned it, even though it's inherited and they didn't do dick for it. So, I mean, when he says, like, for example, write a check, write a check to the Treasury. They haven't done it. Hey, asshole, it's not enough. That's the point. The point is it needs to be institutional to make sense. You can't say, oh, you want Medicare for all? Write a bigger check, Bill Gates. That's not enough. We would need an actual tax that makes sense in this country that hits the right people to fund the system. You can't just say, oh, you just pay more, and there's one person paying more, or a handful of people paying more, and you can't afford to set the system up the way that we need to set it up, that gives people equal opportunity. So it's all, again, the thing that's so frustrating about these people is they don't bother to learn the actual counter-arguments to what they're saying. They just, like... Build a straw man about what the other side is, and then they slap down the straw man, and then they walk around like they're fucking Mike Tyson in his prime, and they just knocked out their opponent. No, you're not. No, you're not. You just beat down a straw man, and you were sounding really flippant and smug and glib, and you're not nearly as smart as you think you are, tough guy. Believe me. Okay. And on that note, that's the show, y'all. Love you. Ya. Talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Have a happy President's Day. I'm waiting on Bernie to announce just like you are. But We'll see when it happens. It should be happening soon. Anyway, love you guys. Peace.